Welcome back to Sunshine with Rain. I'm Lauren Cologne. And I'm Julie Hayes. This week is our second book of the month recap. We are doing Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Yeah, so this book is all about having the courage to be vulnerable and how that'll trans, uh, transform the way that you live, you love, you parent, and you lead. And honestly, this is one of the best books that I've ever read. Like genuinely. Hannah had suggested it to us when she was here to record the podcast. And then we put it up for a vote. And you guys said that this is what you wanted to read. And if you weren't able to read it, then I'm excited to recap it a little bit and kind of take like my favorite parts of it and put an emphasis on those. Um, And if you did read it, then I hope that our thoughts are interesting to you and that you can agree to some of them. And even if you disagree, let us know because I love opening this dialogue. I think it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Let's dive in. So chapter one talked about scarcity and that we are inside of a culture that is just never, we never think we have enough. We just don't think we have enough time. We don't think we have enough of anything. And so that, I mean, just starting out on that, that for me was like, oh my God, this is me. Like you wake up in the morning and the first thing that you think is, oh my gosh, I didn't have enough sleep or I don't have enough time to get ready, or, oh my gosh, I don't have time to get to work. Like you're constantly thinking that you need more of something. And that's just like your default that you go to. That's really relatable for me because Aaron and I just were talking about our finances and no matter how many promotions I get and no matter how many raises I get, I never feel like I have enough money, enough time, like enough work-life balance. Like I always want more and more and more and more and more. I'm never satisfied where I am. Um, And that leads to burnout and so much anxiety and stress for me because I just keep taking more and more on, but instead of like taking the time to like appreciate what I have. You know, what's really interesting. And I was talking to one of my coworkers today and she was just saying like, I want to quit. I want to quit this job. I want to go and just immerse myself in other cultures. And it is the Americanized culture to always be on the go and feel like you never have enough. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you lived in a different country, let's say you were making a little bit less than what you're making now, but the quality of living is so much better because you're not constantly pushing yourself to get things that are out of your means and trying to achieve status quo and all of these things. And that truly resonated with me because quality of life is scarce. Exactly. And then like literally what she says and like, and I jotted this down was she breaks down Brene Brown in the book. She says the three components of scarcity are one shame Shame that you don't have the same amount or more like you're comparing yourself against other people. Um, So you feel that shame to your comparison, like comparison, you're literally comparing your life versus all of the lives of the people around you, which is, can be extremely toxic, especially with social media culture. And then three disengagement where you just withdraw from it because you're so burnt out from trying to be like either put on like that front or trying to like compete, like who has the bigger house, who has the best clothes, who has the nicest car, like that's exhausting. So eventually you just withdraw and you disengage from that. And that when she mentioned that, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like, holy shit. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely the, especially that, that competition factor at one point in time, it was so hard for me to see. And this is like, obviously very material, but to see other people get engaged and I wasn't engaged and I've been with my boyfriend for the longest longer than any of these motherfuckers, and I don't have a ring. But at the end of the day, I have to take so many things into account. Like financial standpoint, age standpoint, we're very young, you know, things like things of that nature. And everybody's in a different point in their life where 
I can't hold those responsibilities on Juan and he can't hold them on me because what if we're really not ready? And like how much does it suck feeling like you're competing for like huge milestones? Like at the end of the day, it doesn't like life is not all about competing with everybody else. It's about just trying to be happy. But if your version of happiness is being better than like competing and comparing yourself and coming on top compared to everybody else, like that's fucking exhausting. And like, that's not what true happiness is. Just being able to say, I have more than you. So I'm better. Like one, it can be very materialistic. Absolutely. But even like, like if you just don't, if if you feel like all of your resources are scarce, right. And then you feel shame that you're not as good as someone feeling shame is exhausting. Like that in itself is so, so exhausting. And then she was talking about narcissism, especially with social media culture and how people are like, Oh, well they're obsessed with themselves. Like they're a narcissist, but really like people are just like happy with what they have. And they want to share those, like those milestones with people. And that's not being a narcissist. Like being grateful for you and proud of you and like, and being confident in what you have. Um, I think that's just that, that, like, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think more people should try to be that way, but instead people point a finger at those people because happiness seems so unobtainable that they, you like shame the people. Absolutely. And I think it's so funny because I attended this work event today with this guy who purchased this $700,000 house. He's from Ghana He is one of 35 brothers and sisters. His dad had four different wives. When he was growing up in Ghana, he had to steal food from cats and dogs because he had no money, no food. All of his resources were tied up. He purchased this house for $700,000, and then he put in $600,000. So it's essentially a $1.3 million house now. And we just launched the property And the property is booked for Christmas for the next five years. So he has all the opportunity to make his money back and he can go and be cocky and be narcissistic and say, well, yeah, you know, this is the money that I'm making, blah, blah, blah. But during his speech today, he was literally just appreciative of everything that he's gone through and all the adversity and the struggle to get the things that he has now. And by looking at him, you can't even tell that this dude has money and you can't like, he doesn't come off narcissistic in nature. He's happy with what he has. And he's proud of himself. And like so many people have a hard time being happy for other people. So I, that, I don't know. I mean, that's just a recap of chapter one and it wasn't a long chapter, but I do think that's totally a problem is we compare ourselves to everybody else and think that we don't have enough. Um, so chapter two, we move into, um, debunking myths about vulnerability. So for myth number one, she says vulnerability is a weakness. And that's what people think when you talk about being vulnerable, you're seen as being weak. And she said that vulnerability isn't good or bad. It's not dark or light. It's the core of all emotions and feelings. So the only way you can feel happiness is if you're able to be vulnerable about how you truly feel. It's being okay with uncertainty and risk and emotional exposure. And it's being able to talk about those things and open up that dialogue um, and know that people are here to understand you and love you and support you. Um, so for example, the more people perceive they are vulnerable to something, the more they are likely to adhere to positive health regimens and prevention routines. And it also says that people who think that are invulnerable are more susceptible to advertising. 
The illusion of invulnerability undermines the response that would have protected them from that item. So for example, if you're like vulnerable and you're like, no, I'm not perfect and I'm not going to be a perfect person. Like I'm going to have flaws and I'm going to work to be better at them, but I'm okay with talking about what I'm not the best at. And I'm okay with being like open about my feelings. Then when someone says like, if you want to have the perfect life, you need X, Y, and Z, you're going to say, well, chances are like, I'm okay with the life that I'm living and the people that love me and really care about me, they're going to accept me for who I am. You know, when I was reading this chapter, there was a song that was stuck in my head and it, uh, it's the bones by Maren Morris. And it, she's, there's a line in, in the chorus that said, when the bones are good, the rest don't matter. And it's just having that strong foundation and that ability to be vulnerable and know that it's not a weakness, that it's important to communicate those things. And when you have good bones and you're able to say, okay, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm bad at. This is what my strength is. This is what my weakness is. This is where I'm vulnerable. This is where I strive. Those things are important. And I feel like becoming more in tune with who you are as a person promotes strength not weakness. Exactly. And so the second myth that she mentioned was um, the people that go, I don't do vulnerability. And really what she emphasized here, her, her number one point here was if you don't do vulnerability, then how can you really be happy? Like you can't opt out. If you're turning your feelings off for being vulnerable and feeling like, you know, that risk of like openness and that people are going to like judge you, right? Like being vulnerable, those are the things that you're really afraid of. And if you shut that out, then no one's really getting to know you. So no one's ever ever able to really love you for who you are. It's always like a front of a front of a front with all of these fake meaningless relationships and meaningless interactions and transactions between people instead of them like having any like weight and clout to them. So she's like, okay, so you don't do vulnerability. Well, then you don't have love either. While I've been reading this book, um, I also got Disney Plus and I've been watching all the Marvel movies and I've started to rewatch Iron Man and just seeing how lonely Robert Downey Jr. is and trying to get women and chase success and chase money and chase all these things and not letting people in because he's had that inner childhood wounds and that hurt. But then actually him being vulnerable with like Pepper Potts and his past and all that stuff, it just goes to show you that like, yeah, he didn't do vulnerability, but now that he does, he's opening himself up to not just be made of stone or made of iron. He's actually a person that has feelings. And his life has so much more value to it and weight behind it. Um, And then the third myth that she talked about here was vulnerability is letting it all hang out. And she really emphasizes here that there's such thing as oversharing and word vomiting, right? So obviously I can walk up to a stranger and I can tell them all of my biggest fears. And that's fucking weird. That person doesn't deserve me to be vulnerable. So there's a difference between just word vomiting and oversharing and like, you know, just like losing your shit and losing your marbles and telling everybody every like everything. And she recognizes that. She's like, no, I'm not saying talk to a perfect stranger and let them know everything that like you're afraid of and everything that like, like your deepest, darkest secrets. Like, yes, I want you to be vulnerable, but you need to be vulnerable with people that like that actually matter in your life. Otherwise you're just going to be exhausted from sharing like your feelings. Like there's a time and a place 
And the fact that she's like pushing this point, okay, like especially this early on in the book, like for me, I was like, oh, I was like, okay, so she's realistic too. Like she's not telling me to like be open and vulnerable to every single person in my life because I don't feel comfortable doing that. And she's recognizing that and telling me that that's okay. Like she says, um, we have to feel trust to be vulnerable and we need to be vulnerable in order to trust someone. So it's like a chicken and the egg issue where if you are vulnerable, then you trust people more because they don't spill your secrets. And she talks about, um, with her daughter and with her daughter's teacher and the marble, uh, like the marble in the vase, like. I trust that you're making good decisions. So I'm going to give you a marble. And when the the jar fills up with marbles, then like, you have to trust me. I'm going to reward you with a party and you don't really know me. So you just have to trust that this is like, this is really what's going to happen and deciding who your friends are and being really careful about that when you're navigating those friendships. And maybe you only let them see a little bit and piece of you at a time, but eventually that will build history where you feel more comfortable trusting them more and being more open and vulnerable. So it's like, which one comes first? Well, you, you have to give a little bit to get a little bit. And it's kind of like you're testing those waters um, prior to, obviously, you're not going to be the best friends ever just straight off the bat. Oh, absolutely. And this just reminds me of like the influencer of it all. And when you watch people on Instagram or YouTube and you see them be quote unquote vulnerable, but they're only putting that, they're only putting parts of their life on display that they want to share with us and showing us their persona when in reality they don't trust us and we don't trust them. It's a very platonic relationship and we like what they put out, but think about it. Like this just reminds me of like cancel culture, for example. So like we stan all these people so hard until up up until a certain point and they get canceled and then boom it's like a switch flips and we turn on them exactly exactly and then it says um also in here i jotted this down is she talks about the worst thing that you can possibly do like in a relationship or like not even a relationship just any any friendship right it doesn't have to be like your boyfriend or your spouse but um is disengagement So you are open and you're vulnerable and you're trusting and you're loving and you're there and you're supporting someone. And then the biggest portrayal that you can have in that relationship is when that person becomes disengaged because immediately that trust slips away. You stop being vulnerable because you don't feel like they care. So you like go to bed early and you don't like you, if I can tell something's wrong with Aaron and I'm just like, well, fuck you. And I go to bed, right? He's going to think I don't care. So he's going to be afraid to be vulnerable with me the next time that he's feeling upset about something because the last time I just pulled away um, and she kind of touched upon how that can be really hard in marriages and long-term like relationships, but even long-term friendships is that we're all so caught up in what we're, we have going on with us that it can be challenging to think about another person's needs and another person's emotions and to prioritize them. And she's like, it's just so important to remain like open. And like, if something hurts you, like if Aaron, if I'm really emotional and Aaron just walks away from me and I just say, okay, that's just what he does. Instead of me shutting down the next day is opening up the dialogue with him again and being like, Hey, that, that made me feel really sad. I was already feeling bad. And then I didn't feel like it mattered to you that I was. And I, I literally called him to talk to him about the book because when I, when I like, I guess read it, but really just listened to it. Right. 
Um, that just really resonated with me and I thought it was important. So the part that resonated with me the most was chapter three, which is understanding and combating shame. And as I was reading this chapter, I just definitely got like Game of Thrones, like PTSD vibes where she's like walking through and Oh my like, God, Cersei. Yeah. And the nun is like, shame, shame, shame. And I was like, oh my God, I feel and shamed. she's naked and everyone's like spitting at her. Honestly, triggered. Yeah. I'm tr- trigger warning. We're talking about shame. <laughs> so what is shame? Shame is a fear of disconnection. And in the chapter, she talks about breaking down the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is something that I did bad and shame is I am bad. And she talks about shame resistance and shame resilience. She says this excerpt, shame resistance is impossible, so we should aim for shame resilience. And she breaks down what that is. Recognize shame and understand its triggers. So like, what does your body feel like when you feel shame? So the next point is practicing critical awareness, which is reality check expectations. The third point is reaching out. So own and share your story and or connect with other people. And the last point is speaking shame, talking about how you feel. So she also mentions the 12 shame categories, and I'm really extra, and I wrote these all out. So you might feel shame about your appearance or your body image, money in your job, your parenting habits, your family, motherhood and fatherhood, physical and mental health, addiction, sex, aging, your religion, surviving trauma, or being stereotyped and labeled. So those are the the categories that might make you feel shame. And everyone has felt shame for one of these reasons at some point in their life. And it is so important to be able to like break yourself out of, I am garbage. I am trash. No, I did something stupid or I made a mistake or I slept with someone that I shouldn't have slept with. And it happens. Shit happens. I might've done a bad thing, but I'm not bad. And being able to recognize that so that you're able to grow and and like expand from that, I guess is like, that's a terrible fucking way to put it. But you know what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, no, absolutely. And people deal with shame in so many different ways. And I think just like going into those different categories and recognizing the things that you do and how you deal with shame and being able to move forward from that is definitely practicing shame resilience for sure. So it says like, for example, she says, practice courage and reach out to the people that you love and talk to yourself as if you talk to someone you love and you're trying to comfort. Um, She also suggests, and this was super weird, so I kind of want your input on this. So she had mentioned that when you when you feel shame, you immediately like close up and the prefrontal cortex of your brain like basically shuts down, right? Which is like your logical and I guess like your reasonable side of your brain, okay? That's a part of your brain that does something, apparently. That's important. I assume you need the whole brain. Um, so she says, when you feel shame, say pain, 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 pain. And that it's going to basically like shock that part of your brain where you're able to recognize that you're feeling embarrassed or like not embarrassed, but like you're feeling like that hit to your gut and just like that, like just that, that nasty feeling about yourself and you're able to put it into a word and then you're able to navigate through that. And so, I mean, I've never tried it, but like, I kind of feel like I should, I feel like that would work. I thought it sounded super weird. Yeah, no, it it sounds a little like exposure therapy right? Right. That, it makes me think of like some old Freudian experiment, something that's so simplistic, but something that works. 
And I mean, I, I never knew of this technique or this method until I had read the book. And honestly, I'm going to apply it to my daily life and I'll let you guys know how it works out. Um, and I also thought the portion of the book where she talks about how men just get pissed or they shut down completely when they feel shame. I was screaming. I was like, Aaron, guess what? And I went to work right after listening to this chapter and I was in such a weird headspace because she was talking about that dad, um, like the the wife and like the kids had walked up to her at a book signing. And then after they got the book signed, they started walking away and he said, hey, have you ever done these studies for men? And she said, no, really, I've only done them for women. And he was like, oh, it figures. He's like, because we have shame too, but my wife and my children would rather have me die and just carry that shame with me and that like then me be open and vulnerable with them because it would destroy them to see me as someone weak that can't provide. Like women are disgusted by men who aren't strong and capable and protective. And I, it just made me so sad and like such a weird headspace because like, hello, toxic masculinity at its fucking finest. And that's so true. And he was like, not even being mean to her, you know, like he was just literally like, yeah, I figured you probably haven't really researched it on men, but like we feel it too. Um, but shame is universal and it doesn't matter what gender you are. You can feel that and you can feel just like disgusted in the skin that you're wearing because of, you know, just because of what else is going on around you and how you're perceiving that situation. Instead of realizing it's just one shitty thing, you're like, I'm so bad. And, and also like when couples fight, it can get so toxic where that is the underlying message. Like you're a fucking piece of shit. Like you're the problem here. Yeah, no. And it definitely ties into the next chapter because I feel like men have to wear that masculine bravado and they have to be the breadwinner and they have to be the pillar for their family and all this stuff. But chapter four talks about the vulnerability armory and it's a persona or like a it's Greek for a stage mask. And it just talks about how masks makes us feel safer even when they become suffocating. And sometimes men have such a hard time taking off that mask and not putting on that bravado or that brave face to be that rock for their family. And, you know, like that guy was saying, to actually feel vulnerability as a man takes a lot of work. And um, it's courageous. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the mask and armor are as individual as us, as our pain or our discomfort is. And so believing that we are enough allows us to, or it gives us permission to take off the mask. And in that chapter, she talks about three common shields and they're and like by shields, we mean like the three most common like masks like that people put on to hide their vulnerability. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to keep no, going. No, that's okay. And so the first one is foreboding joy. And um, the other one is perfectionism. And the third one is numbing. And in in the first, the first one, uh, foreboding joy, she says that you should practice gratitude and joy and gratitude go together. And sometimes you shouldn't squander joy. You should celebrate it. If you don't have vulnerability, joy feels like a setup. And it feels like this is too good to be true. I don't know how to feel about this, you know. And it's just that really shook me because I am so scared to be disappointed. And when I when something good happens, I'm like, all right, I'm skeptic. Like, I don't know if this is too good to be true. That is literally exactly when... Okay, so I legitimately thought about you when I heard that mask. So 
basically what she's saying is if you're afraid to be vulnerable and feeling vulnerable makes you feel bad and weak and like scared, right? And you're not okay with it and you're not confident in your vulnerability, then you're always going to wait for that other shoe to drop. And then the next one, um, I think the second one was perfectional. Is that what you said? Perfectionism? Mm -hmm. That's me, bitch. Oh, yeah. When I read that, I was like, yo, this is Julie to a T. I'm so afraid to be vulnerable that I... And I'm just crazy. Like I hide all of my flaws. I go into overdrive. I'm like, I have to be excellent. I have to be the best. And it's just so exhausting. I don't want anyone to see that like I am capable of fucking up. You know what it is? It's a defense mechanism for you because you're trying to be perfect and put on this persona and do everything that you can so that people don't try to find the flaws in you or try to find the bad things. And they're all covered up. Exactly. And this chapter really reminded me of you because I feel like sometimes you try like so hard to hone in on your imperfections when you should really just appreciate them and everybody has them. And she says that we're all hustling a little bit to hide our flaws. And I was like, wow, this is Julie. Hustling a lot of bit, beach. Hustling <laughs> a lot of bit. Um, and then lastly, she talks about numbing um, and... Obviously, if you are so afraid of being vulnerable that you decide that you just can't, then you can't enjoy anything else either because there's no real relationships that will form because it's the basis of all of your feelings. And we talked about that in chapter one. So yeah, no, absolutely. And she talks about um, psychological isolation also. And that is something that is so scary when you are just isolated in your mind, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally it becomes so toxic and it's just a destructive feeling to have. So the next chapter goes into minding the gap and um, talking about disengagement and the divide that we have from disengagement. And really what I pulled the most from this is people disengage. And we had talked about about this a little bit earlier in this podcast is um, people are vulnerable And then they don't, something goes wrong or someone doesn't support them or someone doesn't live up to the, their end of the social contract. Like for me, I expect Aaron to be supportive and loving and, and patient and caring and like, and empathetic with my life. Right. So when I feel like he doesn't, then I disengage and pull back a little bit. And then he pulls back a little bit. Um, so that, and that's the biggest thing, this whole chapter, that's what it focuses on is we disengage when people in our lives, who either lead us or who we are partnered with um, and who we see as equals, it doesn't matter. If they're not fulfilling their end of the social engagement, we start, uh, and in the contract that we give them, we start pulling away from them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And she says that, uh, I loved this, um, this tidbit, is that like connection is not built on compliance. It's built on a product of love and belonging and vulnerability. And it's so true when you're talking about that social contract or that contract that you have with the people that are important to you and that relationship boundary. It's not about compliance or them just doing the bare minimum to get by. It's them acting out of love and you being vulnerable and being able to talk about those things that are bothering you. Exactly. And so basically what she's saying when she says mind the gap is the gap is the space between where we are and where we want to be. Yeah. And in the next chapter, she talks about that we need to make no mistake and know that sometimes honest conversations and vulnerability and shame are disruptive. And sometimes that there's these barriers 
that it's the fear of, you know, sounding crazy and failing or being laughed at. And there's never any guarantees, but sometimes there's never enough certainty, especially when you're having those tough conversations. So then she goes into talking about normalizing discomfort and we should really expect to be uncomfortable. And we have to remind people that being uncomfortable is normal and it's important. And the more times you feel uncomfortable, you realize that it will reduce anxiety and fear and shame. And if you're not willing to be uncomfortable, then what are you doing with your life? You're exactly, you're just living in the same pattern over and over and over again. And I think, so this is huge for me too. Like this part was perfect because you have to think like I've started this new job. I'm super out of my comfort zone. I'm freaking the fuck out. I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know anything. Am I the right person to have chosen for this job? Like that's what's been running through my head. Like I'm like, did they make a mistake hiring me for this job? Because I don't know. And I've been so overwhelmed and stressed. And then the whole point of her talking about this is you grow the most from your times of being uncomfortable. When you're comfortable, you're not challenging yourself. You're not bettering yourself. You're not learning anything. Um, And then I'll just segue into the next chapter, which is wholehearted parenting, daring to be the adults that we want our children to be. So there's no such thing as being perfect or being a perfect parent. Everybody knows that. And she talks about that, of course. Um, But really what she talks about is that you shouldn't be asking, am I parenting right? Instead, she's like, shift your mindset. Am I the adult that I want my child to grow up to be? And am I showing through my actions of parenting and through my actions as the adult person? Because they're going to learn from you and they're going to pick up habits from you. Like we teach our children and our parents taught us to, to do what they say, not do what they do. But if you really want your child to embody what like a certain characteristic, you need to show it to them so they can learn how to exist, like how, how to be that in their own, in their own like existence in their own adulthood. Um, so for example, if you want your kids to love and accept themselves, then we can't use fear, shame, blame, and judgment in our own lives about our own selves. If we don't love ourselves and we are hard on ourselves and we hide behind perfectionism, perfectionism, or if we hide behind the, all of the different masks that we can wear, they're going to learn that there's something wrong with you being uniquely you. And they're going to say, then there's something wrong with me as well. And that's the whole, that that's the whole thing is having the compassion and being hold hard, uh, like wholehearted, um, and feeling worthy without prerequisites. But, um, hearing it from like a parenting aspect was really important because Aaron and I obviously eventually want to have kids and, um, probably sooner than like later, you know, probably within the next like year or two, we want to start trying. And I know what I want for my children, but I never thought about the fact that whatever I want my children to be, I have to start really putting that into action. I don't want my children to only find worth in themselves through their career. So I have to find worth in myself outside of it, or they will be trained to look for the same behaviors, to find the same pattern of self-worth. I feel as though we're very lucky because we're aunts at such a pivotal age. And I feel like we have almost like a cheat sheet on how we want to raise kids and almost an inside and how we can show the type of parents that we want to be. And I always say that being having a child or being a parent is 
taking that learned behavior and projecting that onto your kid. And if a kid is in the home cursing, disrespecting their elders or their, um, you know, the higher ups or whatever, that's learned behavior. That means that they're getting that from their parent. And they're, what she talks about is that like who we are and how we engage with the world is such a strong prediction of how our children will do more than what we know about parenting. And for us as aunts, and we get to show a different side to our nieces and our nephews of who we are. And we're not their parent, but we are an important adult figure in their life. And I know Eliana's only, what, five? She's four. Oh my God, what a little cutie. Um, she's only four, but I also I have a niece that's nine and she's more receptive as to what I'm doing because I'm not her parent. And she's like, I want to be like Titi Lauren. I want to do these things. And I'm like, oh my God, listen, I'm not a role model. I want to be that fun drunk aunt at Thanksgiving. Like <laughs> that, that's not me, you know? Yeah. But now I'm being more conscious and I'm like, okay, I really, I need to step up and do things for me because I know she's watching me. Exactly. And it's so important. Like it's just different when it's you and your kids because you want the world for them. But you really do have to be the role model you want them to be. And you have to surround yourself by like-minded people because they're going to pull from that knowledge and that's going to be the learned behavior. So it's really important to Jenna when I come that I understand the like the tone of the home and I adopt to that and I also carry that message on and that consistency because kids need consistency to thrive. That was basically the whole book. Did I miss anything? I feel like we covered essentially everything and I feel great about it. <laughs> Honestly, I just... Freaking loved this book. The reason why I love this book so much is that as opposed to our last book, this book is truly situational for everybody. And it's basically a roadmap of how to be a person. And because this, I'm obviously this is not considered a coming of age podcast, but because this is a learning podcast and we're learning about ourselves and other people, this book was perfect for that because it allows the person that's reading it to really dive deeper into who they are and dive deeper into the people around them and to nourish those relationships. Exactly. And she gives examples so that you can have a better understanding, but she doesn't give examples that are like, like she gives examples of stuff, but then she kind of like opens it up. Like it really is, you can, you can no matter what, adapt what she's saying to something you've experienced and, and it just clicked and resonated with me. Freaking love this book, man. I freaking love it. I love that it's in the giveaway. I hope you guys freaking liked our post. I hope you followed us on Instagram. I hope you commented. I hope you tagged your mom. I hope you tagged your sister. I hope you tagged your weird drunk aunt who is not a good role model for you. Like, I hope you tagged everyone in your life because I'm really excited that we're making the announcement on Instagram today for our first Instagram giveaway winner. So anyway, Lauren. Yes, ma'am. Do you want to tell me about your silver lining for the week? Was that a good segue? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so my silver lining for the week is I actually had a personal situation that um, I had to be very, very vulnerable about. And I had gotten upset and I had to explain my feelings as to why I was upset and the severity of the situation and when I we've talked about this before but when I get upset I'm a frustrated like 
crier. And when I was explaining my feelings, I was not crying. And obviously my silver lining is the fact that I wasn't crying. I was able to communicate my emotions very clearly and get my point across without looking like a blubbering idiot. And I was able to just pull myself back and realize, obviously, there's no reason to cry, but to be stronger for myself and to say, okay, this situation really pissed me off, but this is why I'm explaining it. This is why I'm upset. And this is how we can move on. And that's it. That's actually a really good silver lining because I know that's something that you really struggle with would be when you are upset, removing your emotions, like, or waiting for enough time for you to be able to talk about it without all of those feelings bubbling back up. I know that's really difficult for you. So that's a really good silver lining for you. And I'm really proud of you for doing that because I know how hard that is. Thank you. I appreciate that. You are welcome. My fucking pleasure, Lauren, my fucking pleasure. So my silver lining is actually a little bit similar to yours. Um, I was able to navigate a pretty like challenging conversation with one of my best friends as well, where, um, my friend was feeling very stressed and very overwhelmed and very discouraged. And I've just been really going through it anyway, because I'm have so much transition happening right now in my life as I'm segueing from one job to the other. And I'm still helping out at the other job, but I was able to just kind of like put that aside and have a challenging conversation where I was like, listen, I understand that you're upset and I empathize with you being upset. I get it because I really do. And you have a lot of reasons to be upset and I'm really sorry that that's happening. However, when it boils down to it, this is exactly what you signed up for and you have to be able to just take it with like, take it in stride and like, I can help you and I can walk you through it and we can role play how you're going to have these conversations and I was able to really be that rock for someone when right now I'm, I'm really struggling being that own a rock for myself. Um, and usually I try to say that like my, like my silver linings are that I'm able to choose me over someone else, but I'm struggling so much this week with like my self-worth because I do see it through my job that being able to be there and supportive for someone that I really care about who needs me, who's also struggling because of work and career changes that I'm also able to be that person and that, um, like that consistent presence in that person's life and say, Hey, listen, you can't walk around with that look on your face. You have to see like the other side, but I was able to navigate that moment for him. And by navigating it for him, I was navigating the exact same issues that I'm having in my new job because we're both adjusting to a totally new, really uncomfortable experience where both of us are really outside of our comfort zone. We've just been able to like by giving him advice and being consistent and clear and direct with my, you know, my approach with him, I was also giving myself advice and I was able to be the person that both of us needed at that time where, um, every, all the advice I was giving him, I was really like absorbing in myself. Like I know what the right thing is, but sometimes when you're so emotionally charged, it's hard to see that clearly and lay that out and navigate that, uh, without like talking to 10, 15 other people who understand what you're going through. I don't think I've ever been more proud of you than I am right now because you actually grew. I've seen growth, you know, right. I, I, this is a growth moment for you. I know. I'm honestly very proud. And I think that just by you recognizing that and having those conversations and being the rock for somebody else, it's, it's tough. That's hard in of itself, but you took it with grace and you decided to move forward with that. 
and you were able to be a good friend where normally you're focused so much on the achievement of you, 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 and you actually took somebody else into consideration. Not that you're not very considerate, you are, but because you were helping somebody and being able to do that. And I'm just honestly truly proud. And I just think I've just been so isolated because I think I tend to prioritize other people over me frequently, but I think like this was, I've been prioritizing myself for like three weeks now and I've just been really like in, like into my own thing. So taking like recognizing that I'm not getting better alone and then having, giving myself the space, like it was the first time that I felt one needed and two, like I had my shit together in like three weeks. And that was a really, like, that was big for me because like, it's nice to feel needed sometimes. And sometimes it's overwhelming, but when you've kind of withdrawn from the internet and from the entire freaking world for like almost a month, it's really important to come back into that too and realize that there's people that truly believe in you and like believe in what you have to say and love you and respect you. And that it was a tough love conversation that I had with him, but it was also a tough love conversation that I needed to have with myself because no one else could talk to me the way that I was talking. And we're both going through the same shit. I'm like, we knew this would be hard. We knew this would be different. We knew this would be challenging, but we chose to move forward when we were excited. And now we're like, Ooh, why did we do this and rock the boat? But you, you chose this. You deserve to get your, you, for your own career growth, you deserve to see this through and at least give it your full 90 day before you make a judgment of this is so stressful and overwhelming. Like, yes, work is stressful and overwhelming. Your first 90 days of any job is stressful and freaking overwhelming, but like you got to do it and every day it'll get easier. You just really got to like jump into it and, and just really dive deep. Yeah. I feel like you definitely saw this as a small win mm-hmm. and th- and that's important celebrating those small victories. And so I'm very happy for you and I'm just really proud of you. Thanks. Love you. You're welcome. Love you too. So that concludes this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at sunshine with rain podcast and check out our website, www.sunshinewithrain.com. Please rate review and subscribe on all platforms. I love that. Yeah, definitely do that. And also, if we haven't announced when you're listening to this, the winner of our giveaway, go tag your mom. And we'll talk to you all next week. Stay thirsty, my friends. Cheers.